0: Welcome to the Hope City Drip. This is a podcast of Hope City Church in Clinton, Iowa, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Clinton. We know that life can be busy, can be hectic, and so whether you're a stay-at-home mom and you have littles, or you're a shift worker and laboring long hours, whatever you do, this podcast is made for you to hear and digest the mission the vision of Hope City Church. It's a vision drip, so let it drip at your own pace. Listen to this how you want, you know, rewind it, 2X speed this thing, whatever you wanna do. uh, We just hope that this helps you to uh, live uh, for the glory of Jesus and the joy of your own local community that God has placed you in. My name is Nick Powell and uh, I am uh, the planting pastor at Hope City Church here in Clinton. And one of the things that uh, I want to talk about, well, the thing I want to talk about on this podcast is uh, the theme of exile. Again, uh, we, as a core team, are going through uh, the book of First Peter, and really, I want to going through First Peter with our team because I believe that Peter has something for us as a modern church. Uh, Peter is writing to uh, a group of churches that he calls the dispersion. Um, they're a collection of different churches and groups of Jesus followers in what is now modern-day Turkey. And Peter is writing to them, and one of the things that he uh, calls them, he calls them exiles. And so exile um, means a couple things that I think is, is impactful for us as Jesus followers today. Uh, one of the things that it meant in First Peter's day is that they're exiles. That means they're, there's a disconnect. There's a they're not quite home. Uh, they are alienated from the promised land and from the uh, from Jerusalem. From for, they're alienated from their final destination where they would fully belong, fully to God and fully to their communities. And fully they're not. They're just not there yet. And so they're they're exiled from one another. Uh, they're not living in, in cro- close proximity to, to all each of the churches. And uh, the places they live are, are not quite hospitable to Christianity. And so there's this theme of exile, literally. They're exiles and dispersed. But there's also this sense where he uses it metaphorically. Uh, they're exiles. They are, um, they are Christians, and that means that they don't fit into the ways of the world. Uh, The life, uh, the teaching of Jesus and the way of Jesus, practicing the way of Jesus, uh, just is, it's incompatible with practicing other ways. Uh, There's ways, there's spiritual paths, there's other ways of living in the world, whether that's America, Turkey, Iceland, uh, Russia, whatever. There's other ways in which to live your life. And what we know from being human is that the way that people choose to live their lives is totally driven by their pursuit of finding happiness. Uh, every human being that's ever existed um, pursues what they love, what they desire. And so we all, in a way, are searching for um, a metaphorical home. You know, we're searching for a place to belong, a place to be happy. A place to flourish and find deep and abiding joy we all want that we want some but we all have a different version of what that is we all have a different version of the good life and so the Christian um, version of the good life what Jesus calls us to um, looks different than what other um, people are chasing other ways and religions and and things are chasing and so uh, one of the huge themes of first peter is just saying hey uh look christian you you don't feel like you quite fit in in the world and there's a reason for that because you're exiles Uh, and so peter uh, he explores that theme and and the implications of that theme and then also how jesus uh, addresses that um, in the book of first peter and the reason i bring this up uh, the reason why I th- I'm passionate about the book of First Peter is because we are living through a time in American history where the Christian church is falling out of style, uh, to put it lightly. The Christian church and, and the teachings of Jesus uh, is becoming increasingly more out of style, out of touch. And to put it in another way, uh, some people call it, if you're a Christian, you are kind of on the wrong side of history. The world is moving in a different direction, both ideologically and um, just in the way that people live their lives, that it's starting to make Christianity seem kind of weird. Uh, True, authentic, Jesus-centered Christianity is starting to become something um, that a minority practices. It's becoming this thing where it's like, I don't know, it's out of step with um, the dominant culture. And one of the strange things about living in America right now, um, no matter who you are, is that you feel this sense of, unless you're living under a rock, (laughs) of course, uh, everyone, I think, feels this sense of um, like bipolar. um, Things are becoming more polarized and divided. And it's not just politics. It seems to show its head everywhere. Um, And I heard someone the other day put it this way, is that I always feel like they said they always feel like they're playing um for a team like there's they're always feeling they always feel like they're getting sized up and seeing what team they play for um and you know politics is an easy target to pick on right now cuz there's uh, the election and all the political turmoil but there in politics there seems to be, be a huge divide of you know what I would like to call there's a progressive camp and a conservative camp. I think that that's a, that's a generalization that people are using those terms. Um, but what I'm saying for, uh, this podcast and how it relates to feeling exile is that Christians oftentimes, I think they should, is that Christians are starting to discover that they are not really, they don't really fit neatly into a two-party system, so to speak. Tim Keller came out with an article a while ago. I think it was like last election cycle, And he he put an opinion piece in uh, the New York Times, I believe, and it was Christians or how do Christians fit into a two party system? They don't, and so uh, there is a progressive utopia, a progressive version of the good life that, um, like Democrats or liberal or whatever label you want to call it. Um, there's a vision of the good life that progressives are chasing, and, um, and that's why there's certain policies that they champion and certain candidates that they champion, um, and they're running in that lane towards a vision of the good life. A, I'm calling it a progressive vision of the good life, a progressive utopia. And that you know, uh, that is generally uh, a secular vision, something that doesn't have anything to do with God, something that's very individualistic, something that's very um, individual focused, um, very psychological and very therapeutic, basically um, saying we can get to a point in society where every single person, no matter what lifestyle orientation they are, whether they're um, gay, whether they're heterosexual, whether they're cisgender, whether they're black, white, uh, indigenous people, whatever, it doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing, how you're living your life, um, there is a place for you in America to flourish. And, uh, and so we want to enact legislation, elect candidates. And we, we believe that by the, the strength of our human will, we can achieve a society that is just, that is compassionate, um, that is a place of belonging for all peoples. And we can get there if we only pull the right levers, uh, lean into the right science, um, use the right tools. All that kind of stuff, we can get there, but we're not there, and so we need to move. We need to move away from where we've been, which has been a a, a country dominated by the patriarchy, dominated by the religious establishment, and we need to move away from that, and we need to move towards uh, a more progressive. We need to progress towards uh, this utopia that we're that we're chasing, uh, and then there's this conservative utopia, which is a, a, a like a more nostalgic utopia, which is saying, well, the problem is, is that we're getting away from our Christian roots. We're getting away from our founding father's vision for this country. Um, and, and and the further we go from that, uh, the worse that our country is actually going to be. And so what's typical in the progressive, or sorry, the conservative vision of the good life is that if we can just conserve and hold on to uh, the Constitution we can conserve and hold on to, um, you know, the Federalist Papers, like what the, what the founding fathers wrote was their vision for this country and this republic, if we can conserve onto that, then we will uh, flourish as a people, both economically, religiously, we will, we will, if we just hold on to that stuff, then we will flourish, and so both of those camps have a version of a utopia, or a good life, that they, uh, they are competing against one another. And there's good things, I'm not interested in this podcast in dissecting the good and the bad out of either one of those camps, out of the progressive camp or the conservative camp. What I'm pointing out is that Christians are increasingly finding themselves on the outside. You know, for example, um, some Republican conservatives, not all, but some Republican conservatives um, are, are quick to say, hey, we need to take back this country by force or we need to be willing to take back this country um, using guns and using strength and power. We need to make sure that we uh, if we need to, we pry this country uh, from the, you know, grip of the liberal socialist communists and uh, liberal socialist communists. Progressive folks maybe would say we need to, by all means necessary, keep this countries control out of the hands of these fanatic religious conservative you know people and so we we also need to be able to like be willing to use force or whatever and so it becomes escalation where it's like and we've seen this like you don't have to like I'm not like predicting or or trying to say something that doesn't exist you just turn on the news and there's people uh from both sides both sides of the aisle um that are like rioting and uh, escalating violence. And again, I'm not saying this is every single person, uh, that, you know, I'm not saying every Republican is a radical conservative and every, um, Democrat is a radical progressive. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that Christians are like, man, I don't know if, if the conservative utopia quite captures everything that I'm reading in scripture, um, that I'm seeing Jesus uh, describe as, as the vision for the good life. What vision described or what Jesus describes in the gospels seems somewhat incompatible in in ways with the conservative utopia. It also seems incompatible with the progressive utopia. So it just feels like I'm on the outside and I don't quite fit. And that would be what you could call feeling exile. You're feeling like you're alienated from what the majority thinks uh, is the way to live your life. And, and what I want you to know is that if you're a believer and a follower of Christ, that you're actually in good company. Um, because the way of Jesus uh, is a way that God says is a way of holiness. Uh, and the way of holiness means that you're set apart. The way that you live um, is set apart. It's supposed to be different. It's supposed to be provocative. Uh, being a Christian is supposed to be compelling to the rest of the world. While the rest of the world is drilling down into this really toxic tribalism of red versus blue, uh, Jesus people are are supposed to live in such a way where it's like, man, we, we don't fit into that box. We don't get you can't paint us that color so neatly. And so we're supposed to be a provocative people that demonstrates to the world um, a different and a better way. Well, one of the things that happens is that throughout history, this has made Christians um, targets. And when they don't fit neatly into a particular camp, especially a a camp that has power, when they don't, when Christians don't fit neatly into a society that has power, a group that has power, um, they become targets. Now that could be as benign as being targets of ridicule, targets of suspicion, um, targets of condemnation with the, you know, with people's words, They just maybe don't fit in out of style or it could be as extreme as violent persecution and so one of the things i want to show you is that in church history uh there was a time in in which christians were violently persecuted because they just didn't fit in and this was the time of nero uh in around the ad 60s this was what most scholars believe uh was when peter was writing his letter was during the time and reign of the Roman Emperor Nero. So I got I got this book here. It's called um, The Story of Christianity by Justo L. Gonzalez, and it's really, really well-written um, history of Christianity, church history book. And uh, he, he has a little section here about the persecution uh, of the Christians that happened under the reign of Nero, and it's a really fascinating story. Because Nero is this, he's this interesting emperor. Uh, when, he, when he first came to power, he was, he was respected and, you know, he was a pretty typical emperor. And eventually Nero starts to, like, he goes off the rails a little bit. He becomes very narcissistic and he becomes very um, self-indulgent and um, gives himself over to delusions of grandeur. And he, And he becomes very unpopular with the people because he's just, people think he's mad. Um, and so what happens is, you know, this is the context. People think that their emperor is mad and he's deeply unpopular because he's so dang selfish and he's so, you know, he seeks his own pleasure in very lavish ways. And, uh, and a fire breaks out in the city of Rome. This is in, uh, the night of June 18th in the year 64, a fire breaks out and it's a huge fire, burns for about a week. And it, and it destroys like, I think it says 10, 10 out of the 14 sections of the, of the city of Rome, uh, destroys them. And of course, the people are just livid. They're like, what's going on? Like, what happened? What caused this? And of, you know, here's the th- crazy thing. Nero's so unpopular, the people think Nero did it because he's just crazy enough and mad enough that he would light this place on fire for his own sick pleasure and for his own personal benefit somehow. And so the people blame the emperor Nero for uh, the fire that broke out and, and destroyed so much stuff in Rome. Well, Nero is in trouble. And so what Nero notice what he does is that he he notices that there is a section of the city that wasn't As badly burned and uh, and many Christians and Jews lived in this part of the city so what happens is that the Christians become uh, a target Christians become a very convenient target for Nero because Nero needs to scapegoat somebody because it can't be him he can't be the one to blame for this fire and so he he looks and sees oh look it must have been the Christians because the fire didn't touch their part of the city So he turns it on them and the only reason that this was able to happen and this this is the insight here that i want us to to focus on is that the only reason that that was able to happen was because the the christians already were outsiders in roman society they were already as peter says they were already exiles and uh and so the the historian tacitus he tells uh the story of that time the fire and the Christians being, uh, they become persecuted by Nero. Nero straight hunts them down, and uh, and he tortures them and kills them with what the uh, historian Tacitus calls refined cruelty. And this is I want to read you a little bit of uh, an excerpt here from uh, from this book. It says, "This is Tacitus it says, in spite of every human effort of the emperor's largest say." And of the sacrifices made to the gods, nothing sufficed to allay suspicion nor to destroy the opinion that the fire had been ordered. So this is the people They nothing was going to stop the people thinking that Nero did it. Therefore, in order to destroy this rumor, Nero blamed the Christians who are hated for their abominations. So tuck that little phrase into your, dog ear that phrase. The Christians, he says, were hated for their abominations. And punish them with refined cruelty. Christ, from whom they take their name, was executed by Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius. Stopped for a moment, this evil superstition reappeared not only in Judea, where was the root of the evil, an evil superstition. He's there, he's referring to Christianity. Um, is the root of the evil, but also in Rome where all things sordid and abominable from every corner of the world come together. Thus first, those who confessed that they were Christians were arrested. And on the basis of their testimony, a great number were condemned, although not so much for the fire itself as for their hatred of humankind. So the, uh, the historian Tacitus, he's describing this event, and he and he describes Christians um, even before they were blamed by Nero. He describes them as an, as um, practicing abominations and as being hated. Um, or sorry, he's saying that they hated humankind. And what you need to know about this is that Christians, uh, because Christians at the time in 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 their attempt to pursue living into the call to become holy people, uh, they they knew God was calling them to become uh, to live into their identity as holy, set apart people. And so what that meant is that they they didn't participate in some of many things that the Roman culture really valued. So they you know many Christians didn't participate in the Colosseum games. They weren't uh, supporters of like the entertainment violence Um, many christians didn't participate in their art and theater Um, many christians didn't participate in in the roman army and and so there was all sorts of things that these christians didn't participate in because to them it was contrary to practicing the way of jesus and so many in roman culture who valued their their culture like this this historian Who valued the Roman way, right? The Roman society, Roman culture. Many people who valued that saw the Christians as a threat to that because they weren't weren't celebrating what Romans were celebrating. They weren't um, participating in building uh, what the Romans were building. And so they were seen as useless. They were seen as, um, you know, like they were condemned and they were they were seen as unpopular. It's like, what, what what, good are these Christians if they don't do these things and celebrate these things? They don't worship our emperor. Like, what, what, what good are these Christians? And so practicing the way of Jesus made, being Christians made these early Christians a target, and Nero exploited it. So that's part of the story of why the Christians were so fiercely persecuted in uh, Nero's day, because they were uh, an easy target for scapegoating. Now, this is really important context for understanding First Peter, because First Peter uh, two four. I just want to vo- focus in on this one verse. First, First uh, Peter two four. So Peter is essentially. Um, He's unpacking what it means to uh, grow as God's holy people. What does it look like to be spiritually formed into the type of people uh, that are not shaped primarily by um, idolatrous practices? They're not shaped primarily by Roman culture and emperor worship and all these things. They're shaped by something else, shaped by the presence of Jesus and living, um, building their community off the way and teachings of Jesus And so Peter writes, as you come to him, meaning as you come into personal relationship with Jesus, as you come to him, come into his presence, and then he refers to Jesus as a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. There's this interesting thing like if we know the con we know the context of first peter if we know part of the story that provides the backdrop the historical backdrop uh, of what was going on during the time peter's writing this letter that provides some color to this jesus is referred to as a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of god chosen and precious and these people these christians um, they they are feeling rejected, they're feeling condemned, they're feeling useless. And Peter is saying, Jesus, Jesus was rejected by men. And he goes on to call Jesus the cornerstone. The cornerstone is is the part of the building that all of the other stones are, are keying off of. And so what Peter is saying, he's using this metaphor to say, look, I know that the Romans don't think that you guys are worth... Um, building a culture on, that Christianity to them is a weak religion, that Christianity and Christians are useless to building a powerful and strong society, you need to know that, that God does not see you that way. God sees you like he saw Jesus. God the Father sees Jesus as chosen and precious. That even though Jesus was rejected and condemned, and despised, he was chosen and precious in the sight of God the Father. It's not fundamentally, these Christians are not useless, but they're precious. And so this is how we are called as Christians in the modern world. We are called to live into this identity as chosen and precious. And we ought to have the confidence that God is building a better people, in a better kingdom through the local church, through the church, the church of Christ. And so the Christian, like Christian, I don't know who needs to hear this. If you're listening to this and, you, and you're feeling like maybe you've had a conversation with somebody and you just felt misunderstood because uh, you follow Jesus or you just had a job interview and you, you don't feel like it went well after you said you were a Christian or that you go to church or that you... Uh, love Jesus, and that's a big part of your life, you know, Uh, whatever version of this, like feeling alienated and exiled, you just need to know that you're in good company and that though you may be on the outside of the uh, divisive political climate that we're in, you may be on the outside of of a progressive utopia or a conservative utopia. If you're on the outside of that, you need to know that you're not on the outside of God's kingdom. You're not on the outside of what God is building. And so, in a way, lean into uh, the fact that you are, uh, There, there is such a thing as holy uselessness. <laughs> the false kingdoms of the world will find you useless. They will find you useless building material. But you know what? They also found Jesus useless. They're If you know the story of Jesus, like the Jews in that time, the ethnic Jews, they wanted to be rescued from the oppression and from the misrepresentation and from uh, from the disenfranchisement that they experienced under Roman rule. To put it simply, the Jews wanted to overthrow the government. The Jews wanted to overthrow Roman rule, and they they believed that the Christ, when he would come, would come in on on a war horse and would overthrow many of the Jews. I'm not saying all of them believed that. Of course, they didn't all believe that. I mean, Jesus Jesus had followers, right? So, but even his followers, like Jesus's followers kept asking him when was the kingdom of god going to be fully revealed meaning when would peace on earth come when would shalom come when would god's rule and reign finally break through in this broken world and jesus is like the kingdom of god is in your midst and this is how it's going to break through and then he goes to the cross and he dies and it's like what i thought you were going to bring the kingdom of god i thought you were going to bring in the new world order I thought you were gonna overthrow this thing and that we were gonna ride in and we were gonna be kings i thought you were gonna build something different and better here and it just didn't seem like that on the outside jesus died and and the roman government kept going and nations rose and fall and we still are in this cycle of political turmoil and governments exploiting people and governments being successful and governments being unsuccessful i mean it's just we're still in this thing right but what jesus came and taught which is what peter is teaching in his book is that this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom and that god is spirit god is building something that has started he has he is building something in each one of your lives he's building something his spiritual presence has made his home in you and he is building your life on the cornerstone of jesus he's transforming you into his image and that the church community is a new community being spiritually formed in the way of jesus that the spiritual community um, in the church is becoming a light is is a light to the nations because we know that what we are primarily rescued from in this life is sin. And that is the greatest thing that we needed rescue from was sin. We needed rescued from ourselves. We needed to rescue from the wrath of God that stood over each one of us. And now, because Jesus was made to be discarded, Jesus was treated uh, and condemned and was was ostracized by the people like jesus was all of these things like our exile our feeling of not belonging alienation estrangement all of these feelings like jesus was discarded and thought to be useless but he was not useless what he was doing was something paradoxical he was taking power by giving up his life Because in his resurrection, it vindicated all his claims of being the king of the universe and the son of God. And that he goes and ascends into heaven. And then we look and we say, yes, I believe in this. In light of the resurrection, I believe that Jesus is really king. And that we, as we believe in Jesus, we now have a hope. We have a hope that we will one day become like him fully, that we will too will rise from this broken world. We will rise from the death. We will rise and we will be with God in his new world forever. That day is not going to come until Jesus returns a second time. But until that happens, right now, the work has already started of building a new kingdom. It has started spiritually. And so right now, Christian, if you believe in Jesus he is making you into a useful people. He's making you into a useful person that, though you may not be useful to uh, the utopian visions of other political parties or whatever, you are precious in God's sight. And He's building something great with you. He's building you into the image of Christ. And that when you are put together with other believers in the church, the church becomes this countercultural kingdom, this countercultural people group, this countercultural new race that demonstrates to the world a better way to live and a better vision to chase and a better God to worship. And so that is the vision. That is the beauty of exile is that we have an opportunity here in modern American life. We have an opportunity here, even in Clinton, Iowa, we have an opportunity to demonstrate to a broken and divided people that it is possible to live the way of Jesus. It is possible to love. It is possible to have compassion. It is possible to have life and to have unity. And that is a far more compelling vision than anything else out there that has to offer. And so whether you're uh, here in Clinton and you're a member of Hope City Church or whether you're a member of a different church in this community and you're fighting the good fight with with other folks in, a, in, a, in an extended family, right? no matter where you're at, we just hope that this podcast serves to help you live for the glory of Jesus and the joy of your local community.